Shortly after Shelly and I were married, we uh, moved into a one-bedroom apartment in Lakeland, Florida. I started teaching math at a local high school, and Shelly finished up her last year of college. And, and in a couple of buildings down, some friends of ours we graduated college with, they had gotten married and moved in. And so we started spending time with them, Heather and Aaron, a super couple, uh, still connected to them today. They're actually, uh, what, what would that call, be called? Godparents? Is that, what is it? I'm missing it. Yeah. If we die, our kids go to them. That's what, whatever that means. There's a phrase for that, I'm sure. I have no idea. Anyway, and when we get their kids, so we just, you know, we'll trade kids. Well, we'll see how that works out. We're hoping everybody lives. That's kind of what the, the end game is, yeah. <laughs> Good friends, though. But I tell you, what was really fun is we were, were newly married. It was fun to hear their stories of life as a newly married couple. And the funniest thing was is they got married and, of course, didn't know the sleeping habits of their soon-to-be spouse, so they got married to where Heather wakes up one night, and here's what Aaron's doing. So he's, like, ducking behind a dresser and, like, looking. So Heather's, like, over here in bed, wakes up, and she's like, Aaron, what are you doing? And he's just over here, like, she's like, Aaron, is there somebody in the house? Is there someone? Heather very quickly realized she married someone who sleepwalks. And it was freaking her out. <laughs> so it scared her the first couple of times, but then she just started going along with it like, this is kind of fun. It's like, you know, midnight entertainment. <laughs> so she woke up one night and Aaron's in the kitchen, empty plate, sticks it in the microwave. Dude, dude. And so she's like, Aaron, what you doing in there? Making some cookies? And Aaron, so it's fun to hear Aaron because then he would wake up, you know, so she would interact enough that he would wake up out of the stupor and realize like, gosh, and he'd tell me, it's so embarrassing, you know, <laughs> like I can't do anything about it. He had no idea he was sleepwalking. I mean, he thought, you know, these were conscious actions of his, totally, totally unaware. But he was like living out some fictional story. Like, I don't know what was happening for Aaron and, and what he was dreaming and thinking about, but he was sleepwalking. And I was thinking about that in the context of where we're headed in Luke today and thinking about, well, it's not real hard for us to sleepwalk through life. That all of a sudden we can wake up March 1st and, and begin to think, what happened to February? What, what, did, I, what did I just do the last 28 days? Or was it 29? Like, you don't even know. <laughs> like, we can, if we're not careful, sleepwalk through life. That we can just go through the motions. That we can get into such a rhythm and routine. You wake up, you eat breakfast, you go to work, you punch the clock, you come back home, you go through your evening routines, you go to bed, only to wake up and do it all over again. Day in and day out. And human nature is one that likes routine. You like to park in the same parking space. You like to sit in the same seat. That those are actually natural inclinations, that we want a measure of stability in the life that we live. But the problem is, is we're not meant to live routine, ordinary lives as followers of Jesus. We really are meant to live extraordinary lives. We're not meant to sleepwalk through life. So then the question is, well, how do we come alive? How do we make sure that we're not sleepwalking through this life that we're living? And the good news is, as we continue our series in Luke, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives us some answers on how we can come alive. So if you have your Bibles, 
hey, I hope you've got a Bible. And if you're new and you wonder why would they say that? Because we want you in God's word and not just today, but every day. It's God's word to us. And so if you don't have a Bible with you today, there's one underneath the, the seat in front of you. You're welcome to borrow it. If you don't have one at home, take it home as a gift from the church. But we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to start in verse 9. And here's what Luke writes. He also told this parable, so Luke writing about Jesus. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him. Hey, infant, that was your cue. Good job. (laughs) Saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. A couple of weeks ago, we left off in Luke talking about living a life without distraction. We discovered that a focused life is better than a distracted one. And the reason this matters is because distraction is the primary spiritual problem in our culture today. There are more distractions in the world now than at any other time in our country's history. Social media, television, the desire for certainty, people want to know what their future holds, the appearance of success, all of these things, distractions. And the danger of distractions is that they keep us from dealing with matters of the heart. They keep us from focusing on Jesus and living the life that he has for us. And what's been the end result? of people living distracted lives instead of focused ones. If you do a culture study, what you'll find is it has cost our current generation a life without lasting peace or deep joy. Our current generation has been reported as the most stressed, worried, anxious, and depressed generation the world has ever known. And that's no coincidence. So what do distractions do? Distractions cost you the ability to live an extraordinary life. Distractions will keep you stressed, worried, anxious, and depressed. And that is not the life that God has for you. That is not his plan for you. You are not meant to sleepwalk through life. You are not meant to live a distracted life. You're meant to live a focused life, a life that's fully alive. Are you living that kind of life? Our passage today, it helps us to see how we get to come alive. And here's the first thing we find. To come alive, we must be willing to approach God. It all starts there. To come alive, we've got to be willing to approach God. The opening description for this story that Jesus shares, he says he's addressing it to people who trusted in themselves. Verse 9. 
He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. We could, we could stop right there. It was crazy to me to think that Luke, the author of this, this letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he writes this 2,000 years ago. Jesus is sharing this story 2,000 years ago with people. And so what's crazy to me is 2,000 years later, we've got the same problem. We live in a culture full of people who trust in themselves. And let's admit it, we've got churches filled with people who trust in themselves. We need to be honest with ourselves this morning. And of course, the problem is, in the end, if we've simply put trust in ourselves, we're going to wind up letting ourselves down. Trust in yourself will always eventually fall short. And why is that? Because no one's perfect. And if you're unsure of that, nudge your spouse. They'll tell you. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he summarizes this well by saying, we all fall short. The older I live, the more I'm convinced, oh Lord, I need you. Because if you trust in yourself at some point, you're going to realize you were not made to handle life on your own. That's not how God designed you. And I know that America was founded by strong individualists and that spirit continues today. But the fact of the matter is we are not designed to live life apart from God. God made us for himself and your heart and my heart will be restless. Our lives will be without lasting peace and contentment until we learn to wholeheartedly trust in God. Nothing else will satisfy. You know, one of the many reasons people choose not to follow Jesus is because they think they can do life on their own without God. It's interesting to me that we carry around money in our pockets that declares, in God we trust. Let's be honest. We really don't trust in God very well. We trust in ourselves a whole lot more. And I'll say, you might be able to do life on your own for a little while, but eventually you realize you are not enough. You get married, and no matter how wonderful your spouse is, you realize your spouse is not enough. You save up, you buy a home, and eventually realize your house is not enough. God may bless you with some kids, and as joyful as they are, you realize your kids aren't enough. You work long hours, climb a corporate ladder, only to realize your career is not enough. You take classes, you earn degrees, only to realize your degrees are not enough. Maybe your parents pass and they leave you something behind, only for you to realize that inheritance is not enough. Because we need something more. We need a Savior. One of the prayers I pray every Sunday morning is, God, help people in our community realize their need of a Savior. I prayed as I drive through our community on our way to this building. See, most people have shielded themselves enough in life to think they don't need a Savior. And so I pray, God, give people a hunger, a desire for you. God, I pray for the conviction of evil. May people understand their need of you. God, I pray that the cross be unveiled. Do your work. You see, if we don't think we need a Savior, then it's pretty hard to make that decision to wholeheartedly follow Jesus. You've got to understand your need first. And I'll say our culture does a really good job of making it seem like you don't need one. I mean, because even once you realize, at some point, 
everybody realizes they're not enough. So what does our culture say? That's okay. Just go visit this counselor, go take this pill, go read this book, drown out your shortcomings with a couple of seasons of Game of Thrones, you'll be all right. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not against counselors. We recommend people for ongoing care, depending on what has happened in their lives. Uh, not against medication. I have family members that have taken that. You know I love books. I pass them out like candy. That's not an issue. And I like movies. But what I want us to understand is I want us to be aware that our culture has created answers to our shortcomings, but you will eventually realize that you have, and in the end, those things too won't be enough. Only God is enough. Only God. We need a savior. You're not enough. You cannot bear the weight of this life. You cannot bear the weight of raising kids. And every parent in this room said, Amen. <laughs> Jesus, help us. <laughs> you can't bear the weight of the financial responsibility of providing for your family. You can't bear the weight of your future because you're not enough. But the good news is, God is. God is enough. God is enough for your family. God will heal your past. He'll bring purpose to your present and vision for your future. God is someone who can be trusted. He is enough. Do you know him like this? This is why the first step for us to come alive, it's tied to our willingness to approach God. Because what you do when you approach God, you're saying, God, I know I'm not enough, but I know the one who is. This is why Jesus, he shares in the first story. Here's what he says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. That's the starting point. Two men went to the temple to pray, to the place where in their first century minds they understood, if I want to encounter God, this is where I need to go. So if you want to come alive today, the first thing you have to do is you've got to be willing to approach God. So let me ask, did you approach God with your singing this morning? The book of Psalms tells us God is enthroned on our praises. There is something that happens when two or three are gathered in his name and we proclaim his praises. God's there. It's a place of guaranteed encounter. So did you approach God in prayer today? People here willing to pray with you. Prayer is a place of guaranteed encounter. Will you approach God as we take communion at the end of this message? Every Sunday we read Luke 24, 35, where it says Jesus was known to them in the breaking of bread. Jesus shows up in a special way in communion. Communion is a place of guaranteed encounter. My question is, are you showing up on Sundays ready to encounter God? Do you wake up on Mondays, open his word to say, God, I can encounter you. This is your breath upon my life. Do you pray on Tuesday saying, God, I know I can encounter you in prayer. Are you living your days expecting an encounter with God? He wants to meet you. When we sing songs, when we close this message in song this morning, I encourage you, sing along. Words are on the screen. And you don't have to be a soloist. You're not going to be on stage. Don't worry about it. The person standing next to you, they might be deaf anyway. <laughs> Just sing. You know, you might sing in the shower, sing in the car. Why not sing in a church building? I encourage you, sing, because you want to approach God. I encourage you to approach God in communion today. I encourage you to approach God in prayer and by reading your Bible tomorrow. To come alive, 
you must be willing to approach God and to come alive as we keep looking at this passage. What we see is we must humble ourselves before God. To come alive, we've got to humble ourselves before God. As we look at our story, how did the Pharisee approach God? The Pharisee, he stood by himself. He didn't even want to stand with other people. Why? Because he had complete trust in himself and he thought he was better than everyone else. Look at what he prays. This is a crazy prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. What kind of prayer is that? Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What's this Pharisee doing? He's expressing complete trust in himself with no acknowledgement of a need for God. And therein lies the problem. Because now look at the tax collector. How does he approach God? Standing far off, way in the balcony, he couldn't even lift his head. He beat his chest and cried out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh God, I need your grace. God, I need you to save me from myself. I need you to heal my past, bring purpose to my present, give me vision for my future. God, I need you. That's what he's saying. And let's look at the result of both of these prayers. Jesus says the tax collector went away justified, not the Pharisee. And so what does that mean? What does it mean the tax collector walked away justified? What it means is that tax collector, his sin debt was cleared. It means he received God's mercy. And what did he pray for? God, give me mercy. So guess what? God answered his prayer. Why? Because he approached him humbly. It means he's made right with God. That's what justified means. By humbling himself, the tax collector was exalted. He came alive in God. God breathed newness into his life. You want to know how I think that tax collector ran out of that temple or walked out? Woo! I'm free! God has brought peace and joy in my heart like I've never known. I'm new today. And he ran out of that place praising God. All while that Pharisee is like, what just happened to him? I've never felt like that. I've never encountered God like that. And what's the difference? Humility or pride? And I want to say too, do you think God loved this tax collector any more than this Pharisee? No. His heart is that that Pharisee. In fact, Jesus shares this story not for the sake of the tax collector. He shares it for the sake of the Pharisee to say, wake up! Come alive. Humble yourself before God and watch what he'll do in your life. How do we approach God? If you want to come alive, you've got to approach him humbly. You might have walked with Jesus for 30 years and maybe you think you've got it all figured out. But guess what the story shares? We've got a lot to learn in walking in humility for a lifetime. You've got to put your complete trust in God. And that's what's required. How could this tax collector humbly approach God? Because he knew God could be trusted. I wonder if this Pharisee just said, I don't, I don't know if I can trust God. I'm not sure what he's going to do if I show up and really express how I'm living. When we close this message in a little while, I'm going to encourage you to get out of your seats, to come to the front and say, let's humbly approach God together. 
Let's put this into practice this morning. Let's not just go over this message. Let's apply it immediately and watch what God does. And I encourage you, when we're here singing, express your needs to God. God, restore my marriage. God, help me be a better parent. God, I want to provide better for my family. Help make that a reality. Whatever it is, what does it look like? When you humble yourselves, God wants to answer those prayers because he wants you to be whole. He wants to meet you where you're at. To come alive, we must humble ourselves before God. And to come alive, we must maintain a simple faith. To come alive, we must maintain a simple faith. Second part of our passage this morning, it's about people bringing children or infants, it says, to Jesus. It seems the disciples thought this was inappropriate, but here's what Jesus says. Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child, they will never enter into it. So then what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? Think about the kind of qualities that children possess. I went to get in my my car this morning. Shelly and I had traded cars on Friday, and it's popcorn day at Friday at Klondike Elementary School. So you can already guess what I found in my back seat as I opened the door. Empty popcorn bag with popcorn kernels. So guess what? Kids are messy. And what does that mean for us? You can approach God with your mess. You don't have to have it figured out. Leave those popcorn kernels where they lay and just show up and God's going to meet you there. Show up to God messy. It's all right. Hey, go work in Kids Cove. You know what I love about three, four, and five-year-olds? They're real. There is no filter. They're going to say whatever pops in their head. I think the apostle Peter approached Jesus this way. No filter, let's just say whatever comes in my head. That's the way we approach God. God, we can be real before you. Think about the Psalms. That's why I said, pray the Psalms. Those are real expressions of faith. That's pouring out your heart to God. You don't have to come to him with pretense. Be real before God. You know what else, though? It said that they were bringing infants. Think about the way that infant deals with an adult. They can't do anything on their own. So you better believe an infant approaches adults humbly. Like... <clears throat> what's their response? Wah, wah. What's, what's the answer? I got a dirty diaper. I need some help here. Talk about humility. Approach God humbly. Approach him messy. Approach him in real terms. That's how we can approach God. What else? Kids love to ask questions. If you're a parent, I am sure at some point in your life, you've said, I can't take any more questions for the next five minutes. Here's the timer. No more questions. Five minutes, I need a break. Right? So what does it mean? God, I can approach you with my questions. He doesn't mind your questions. And he wants to give you answers. He's a good father. He wants to give them to you. So approach God with your questions. But you know what else kids want? They want their parents' love. Every child wants to know their parent loves them. Everyone. So what does that mean? You can approach God with a desire to receive his love. Approach him with that. Say, God, I've got to know. You as my heavenly father, do you love me? What's his answer? This is my son. This is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's what he says. That's what he speaks over us. You're a child of God. So how do we approach? Messy. Real. Humbly. Seek answers. Desire his love. He wants to give it. But maybe you're in this room this morning and you've come 
with a mindset, the thinking of I've messed up, God is going to kill me. If I really approach him humbly, God's going to kill me. But guess what? You're still sitting here. Turns out that's not true. That's not God's response to you. You are a child of God and here's what your response should be. I messed up. I better call my dad. He's the only one that can get me out of this mess. Because that's the response of a true son or daughter of the king. It's not I messed up. Dad's going to kill me. It's I messed up. I'd better call dad. He's the only one that can make this right. And he wants to make it right. To come alive, we've got to approach God humbly. And before we take communion this morning, I'm going to ask Shelly to come and join me as we read through some lines and scriptures related to what our culture says about us, but also then what God our creator says. And then I'm going to have Shelly read what God says happens when we put trust in ourselves. And then I want to read the promises that God has shared for those who put their complete wholehearted trust in him. I want us to look at these two different mindsets, these two different messages that the culture might share, but what God is saying, God, your creator. So let's land on that. Shelly, I'll have you start. Our culture would say you are simply a product of the process of human fertilization. God, our creator says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. Our culture would say that you are inherently good. And the psalmist writes, for I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. Our culture would say that you can improve yourself. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he writes, and I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. And this is the human condition. Our culture would say greatness is achieved by becoming your own boss or being the leader of, of a growing organization. Jesus says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our culture would say there are many ways to God. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. For those who would put their trust in themselves, here's what Jesus shares. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Trusting in yourself will affect your life now and into all eternity. Where have you placed your trust? But for those who put their trust in God, here's what we find. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster to give you future and a hope. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. What a promise. To all who are thirsty. Man, that's the question this morning. Are you thirsty today? Or are you sleepwalking, going through life, and you're maybe drinking a, a glass that's empty, thinking you're drinking something that's full? If you put your trust in God, you will not be disappointed in this life or in the next. Where have you placed your trust? We're going to close by taking communion this morning. And what I want to ask is that you examine yourself. That's one of the instructions we're given related to communion. And what I want you to examine is where have you placed your trust? So floor hosts are going to come and they're going to be, begin distributing those elements today. And what we need to, to land on today is a, a trust in yourself. It's going to fall short. A wholehearted trust in God will be a firm foundation for you to live your life on. That's what Shelley just read. If you build it on the obedient teachings of Jesus and following him, it's firm. Where have you placed your trust? Paul, a New Testament follower of Jesus, he writes believers in the ancient city of Corinth, giving them instruction on how to take communion. Here's, here's what he writes. He says, For I pass on to you that which I have received from the Lord himself, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats his bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. That's what we want to land on this morning. We just, as they finish passing out those elements, want to examine ourselves, like Paul gave instruction to the Corinthian believers. And so the way I want you to do that is to determine, where have you placed your trust? I just want you to ask the Lord that question. Is your trust in yourself? Your spouse, your family, your, your job, your possessions, your wealth, where have you put your trust? Is your complete and wholehearted trust in God who created the heavens and the earth and God our creator? So I just want you to take a few moments as they finish passing out the elements. Let's just pray. And just pray and ask, Holy Spirit, show me where I've put my trust. And he'll want to show you that so that you can then place that trust, change it, transform it to, to convert that to trust in God. So ask the Lord that question. It's important today that if you put your trust in anything other than God, that you...
take this moment to make a new commitment. Maybe you've never put your trust in God, but today you'd say, I'm going to do that. I'm going to seal that commitment by taking communion with everyone today. Or maybe it's a renewed commitment. I constantly have to check my heart. God, where, where am I not trusting you? In, in what area of my life am I, am I lacking trust? So we all need to revisit that question. So today as we take communion, make a renewed commitment to say, God, I want to put my wholehearted trust in you today. Let this be that moment. Paul shared on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Paul continues in the same way. He took the cup after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. God, we just thank you for sending your son, that you loved us so much that you would send your son, that he would put us back in right relationship with you so that we could live with you for all of eternity. So God, I just pray that we would not take that for granted. God, may we not become numb to the reality of you and your goodness and your desire that we might live close in relationship with you. So God, we thank you that Jesus came and made a way for that. Lord, I pray for those in this room that made a, a new commitment to trust in you. I pray, Jesus, that you would firm their faith. God, I pray for those that made a renewed commitment to say, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you once again or I'm gonna trust you in deeper ways than I have before. I just pray, God, that you would honor that prayer today. Honor that commitment to you today. Lord, do that work in us, which only you can do. Stir our hearts with a passion. May we be thirsty for you, God. And may we see your word that it says that those who are thirsty, you will satisfy. So God, we pray for thirsty people today that desire to be satisfied in you and you alone. God, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. We're going to close in song. and I've already shared that our desire, or our desire is that we, we do that together, that we humbly approach God together. The first Wednesday of the month for our pastors is a pastor's prayer day. And so oftentimes we'll go as a pastoral staff, we'll go to the Purdue campus and prayer walk. We'll go to uh, trailer parks and go prayer walk. We'll go to apartment complexes. We'll go to downtown Lafayette. We'll prayer walk. But this Wednesday, I shared with the pastors, I said, look, my heart is heavy for the people of Connection Point Church. Because unfortunately, with us living in a semblance of a Christian culture here in the U.S., then We've got churches in lots of places. This can become so familiar to us that we stop pursuing and seeking an encounter with God that he wants us to have. And I don't want that to be the case. I want this to be a thirsty church that Jesus, that God satisfies. May we be that church. So I, I took our pastor and said, look, we're gonna come into this room. We're gonna pray over every seat. So the seat that you're in, I've prayed over. Pastor Jim has prayed over. Pastor Michael has prayed over. Pastor Mark has prayed over. Pastor Andrew has prayed over. Pastor Zach Rainey has prayed over. Pastor Eric, he's in Turkey, but he prayed over your seat today. Why? Because we're praying, God, whoever sits in the seat in the 1045 service, may they encounter you. May they be thirsty for you. Man, we want you to know God in his fullness. We don't want distractions to keep you from him.
And then we paced up here, paced and we prayed and said, God, as we close in song, may people encounter you. May they express their need of you and may you meet that need. So as we close, I'm gonna invite you to step out, come down and humbly approach God. Let's humbly approach him together. Don't stand by yourself like the Pharisee. Approach God like that tax collector who prayed and whose prayer was answered because of the way he approached God. That needs to be our answer. And I'll tell you, they're already beating me to it, but I'll be the first one down here to say, God, I need you to help me to be a better spouse. God, I need you to help me be a better parent. God, I need you to lead this church and I just got to follow your lead. We've got to approach God. So let's do that as we close in song. And as we sing, sing if you want to sing or just begin to express your need of God in whatever way he has it for you. But let's sing and close together.